Hi, and welcome back to Radio Motherboard. This is staff writer Jason Kebler, and this week we're going to be talking all about trolling. I'm here with Kaylee Rogers, who's another staff writer, and Hello. Chris O'Coin, who you remember from last week. Hello. Chris, have you ever been trolled? Have you, are you a troller? Have you ever had experience with such internet phenomena? Uh, no, I, I, the, the extent of trolling that I have had is um, basically any uh, YouTube comments on videos I've worked on, uh, and they usually don't go after me directly. They usually go after one of our hosts or um, uh, our uh, content, or one time a guy went after the editing, and that sucked. Did he have any idea what he was talking about? Uh, he kind of did. It was... <laughs> I feel if you're, like, gonna notice the editing and comment about it on YouTube, you're probably, like... M- like, maybe you don't know what you're talking about, but you- more so than, like, the guy who's, like, hey, this host is an idiot. Hey, this host looks ugly. Yeah, it was, like... It, it was an edit that was particularly um, on the nose, I guess, would be my description of it. And I knew that going into it. I was like, I wonder if I should leave this in. And I did. And then one person... So I was already kind of like unsure about it. And then one person was like, this is fucking cheesy. And I was like, ah, shit. But I I watched it again and I was like, ah, fuck that guy, you know, or girl, whoever it is. (laughs) Yeah. Kaylee, what is your strategy for dealing with this sort of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I haven't been trolled, which I'm kind of hesitant to say, because I feel like that's a nice flag of a target on my back to introduce trolls in my life. But I do, obviously we get comments on all our stories on Facebook and a bit on the site and on Twitter. Basically everything I've ever written, there's been like one or two nasty comments about me or my reporting abilities or the fact that I'm a woman or yeah, lots of fun stuff. You just kind of have to like ignore it and that's very hard to do sometimes. And, and luckily no one has said anything mean about the podcast yet. So if you're listening to this, just like, Keep just keep it nice for all of us, please, because it's been like a really fun thing to do. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to say what trolling is, and that's kind of what we, I'm going to be talking about with Whitney Phillips, who is a researcher at Humboldt State University in uh, Northern California. She just spent four years on 4chan and Facebook, kind of embedding with trolls, and wrote a book about it called "This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things." which is like kind of a famous internet phrase or whatever. Um, So she like explores memes and then she explores like why people are racist as trolls, why people are like, uh, why people like to laugh at dead people on Facebook, why like the media is constantly being trolled. And it's a really interesting book. Um, It's very dissertation-y because she actually wrote it up as our dissertation and then added to it for the book itself. But um, that she talks about a very specific type of trolling, I guess. And right now it seems as though trolling just kind of means like someone being mean on the internet. Um, What do you guys like think of the word troll even? Um, Well, I was just going to say, I think one of the weird thing about trolling is is it, it's very much rooted in that like ability to be anonymous. Um, and then when you see those people kind of paraded in front of anyone, they they like collapse. And I was thinking specifically of, remember Violent Acres, uh, the Reddit user who 
ran, uh, what did he run? Like several. He ran like the uh, creep shots and he ran jailbait on, on our Reddit. Or, sorry, on Reddit. Um, and then Adrian Chen of Gawker basically doxed him, found out who he was, called him up, uh, and wrote this huge expose. It was like a big deal um, a couple of years ago. And then he was interviewed on, um, I want to say it was CNN, but I could be wrong. And he was just like a broken, sad man. And ever since then, that's kind of been, whenever I see like trolling on any of our shit, I'm like, I know behind the screen this person probably has a problem and is like dealing with it by diminishing people on the internet. And it makes it a little easier to tolerate. I mean, yeah, I mean, I like to imagine that the world is not full of completely horrible people that actually mean the things that they say. I've I've written about this a bit as far as trolling women specifically online and trolls love to hate on feminists. And one of the researchers I spoke to, uh, eh, what's her name? Lisa Nakamura, she's with the University of Michigan. She was saying that like there's researchers that have gone into it and discovered that a lot of these people don't actually even feel like they're not actually racist, sexist people in their day-to-day lives. They just pick those topics because they know it's going to get a stir out of people. If you say something really inflammatory on the internet, people are going to get mad and react and respond to you, and they're not just going to sit there and take it. So it's like a good way of getting a reaction. And if you're somebody who's starved for attention and just want people to notice you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Something that uh, Whitney talks about is in the book, basically the first two chapters are defining what trolling is for her purposes and defining what lulls are, which is really hilarious to read in a book like being put out by MIT Press. (laughs) It's just like a whole chapter of what lulls are. And I feel like we say trolling is bad, but this type, there's like very, a lot of funny trolls and a lot of people who are like, getting a rise out of people who take themselves too seriously. And I think that it's kind of the argument she makes is it's not all bad. Um, but it, it kind of in recent years has basically the end of the book is like the downfall of the golden years of trolling. And now trolling, like people who troll are just like dicks to everyone and they're assholes. And it wasn't always like that. It used to be like, oh, we rigged this poll that Mountain Dew did and, you know, made <laughs> them do something. And it was, like, kind of funny for everyone, and they made fun of, like, a big corporation, and it wasn't, like, that big of a deal. No one was really, like, hurt. But uh, now you have, like, a lot more of these, like, really uh, dangerous and scary behaviors, like, with Gamergate and what's happening to all these women on Twitter. The, I, I, was, I was wondering, like, so reading through, especially comments on YouTube, and I'm not even just talking about uh, our YouTube, but like all YouTube comments, um, there's like a shocking amount of racism, like really fucked up, vile shit. And I want to believe that those people are not, that there's not actually that many like disgusting racists out there and that it's just people trolling for like, for like some very twisted, fucked up lulls. But I I don't know. Do you think that that's do you guys think that's the case or do you think that they really are like fucking two steps out of a clan meeting and they're just like venting? I feel like it's probably somewhere in between. These people probably have some latent racism that they don't express in their daily lives and then it gets exacerbated by the fact that they're anonymous and, you know, they're going to be more sensational online. Obviously, I mean, there's racer, there's there's racists among us. <laughs> People keep asking me this at like parties and at 
like my parents and like aunts and uncles will ask me this because they're like oh you work on the internet like why is everyone so mean now like aren't they supposed to be like it wasn't like this when i was a kid and i really do think it's worse now because you have things like reddit which as a whole is probably a net benefit for society but if you were the one racist dude in your high school like and you started saying racist shit that would not fly and it'd be shut down immediately. But the second you can hop online and find an immediate like group of people that share these views, it's just amplified. And that's, you know, how you have people joining ISIS. And that's how you have people like becoming like lone wolf terrorists, because you can find people who agree with your like fucked up viewpoint. And then, you know, it's not stamped out because you're not, you don't have that community of normal people around you if you don't want to. If you have like this echo chamber of just, you know, hate gets lulls or it gets more, uh, it, it just gets approved by other people. And, and then you try to just go further with it. And then eventually that's what you like actually think and believe, I think. That makes sense. So it's like a, you're saying it's some kind of like self-fulfilling thing. It starts as like a goof and then. It, it either starts as like a goof or if it starts as like a, a seed of an idea that's like not that strongly held. And then you, someone says like the N word out there and it gets like a rise out of people and then other people are backing you up. And it's like, oh, this is acceptable behavior now. And I, I can just like keep doing it. Is this, is this how you, you have um, so that there was a hacker is a hacker, uh, Weave, who used to kind of do the whole like white power thing for lulls and then announced like sometime last year that he was actually a Nazi and has like a giant swastika tattooed on his chest. Do you think it starts as like a joke and then the next step is like a giant swastika tattoo? I'm not really sure in the case of Weave. Um, he's always been a bit of a problematic character. Like, he always had this, like, uh, I'm being racist for the lull sort of thing going on, even, like, from his earliest hacks. Um, but, yeah, as you said, now he's gone, like, far off the deep end. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's, he blames some of it on being jailed. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, Weave went to jail for a while, Um he basically exposed a loophole in AT&T's security system. And uh, it was it was iPad owners. Uh, emails were being uh, given out by AT&T if you exploited a certain thing. It wasn't exactly a hack. It was just like a loophole he found on their site. He gave it to Gawker, and then they ran it, and then uh, he went to jail for a while. Conviction eventually got overturned because it was not hacking he was convicted under the cfaa which is the computer fraud and abuse act which is kind of like a wide-ranging catch-all for this sort of thing um but he went to jail for about a year and during this time he got kind of like radicalized like it stopped being a joke all this stuff that he said about like jews and black people and now he's out of jail and he's moved to the middle east and he's just like I don't know, starting all sorts of there's there's like a profile of them every other week. And it's just like all for shock factor, I think. But I feel like know. in a case like that, though, it seems pretty obvious that this wasn't a joke. Like that was an excuse the whole time to sort of keep it almost acceptable to say these things. Be like, But I'm just kidding. Like, I don't really feel that way. And then, you know, 
a short time later, it's, oh, no, I really do. I'm a terrible person. Right. So that's enough of us talking about trolls for the moment. We'll probably talk about it more when we come back. But uh, we are going to talk to Whitney Phillips real quick. Uh, she is the author of This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. She's a researcher at Humboldt State University and spent, willingly spent four years on 4chan and then wrote a book about it. It's very good. You guys should pick it up. Radio Motherboard is brought to you by Casper. It's one perfect mattress made in the USA. With free shipping, free returns, and 100 nights to try it in your own home, it's a radical new idea. Actually sleep on a mattress to decide if you love it. Check out casper.com. You can use code VICE for $50 off of any new mattress. You went undercover on 4chan for several years and other places, Facebook, um, other places where trolls hang out. Um, why would anyone ever want to do this? Well, I encountered trolling um, in 2007, 2008. I'd been directed there by my brother, um, who was a troll. He identified as a troll at the time, and he kept wanting me to go to this place called 4chan and eventually I just decided, well, all right, what, how bad could it be? And, and when I went, um, I was just, I was overwhelmed as anyone who, uh, has been on 4chan, um, knows that there is quite a lot of content that would not be described as G rated. And it was really confusing because the, my brother and his friends who were sort of, I didn't expect that this would be the sort of place that they would, they would find so interesting. Um, and that interested me. And so I started working on um, some shorter projects, which turned into longer projects. It wasn't what I intended to study initially. I, I had gone to my PhD program thinking I wanted to write about political humor, more traditional political humor. But this was, um, this was something, this was certainly not that in any traditional way, but it was, it was interesting and confusing. And so I just kept at it. And over the next, I guess, six-ish years, um, worked with different different groups, spent a lot of time, thousands of hours just sort of lurking on, on 4chan's b-board and worked um, with a group of trolls on Facebook who were who identified as um, memorial page trolls. Right, so and those are, those are people who hear about, uh, I guess, young people dying in some sort of tragic fashion and then they go to the memorial pages and essentially make fun of what happened. Well, there's a... There, the thing about trolling is that it's such a wide spectrum of behaviors. And, and back then, even, um, where the term trolling was more had more clear subcultural connotations, it's changed now. But back then, it was, you know, there was basically one thing a person meant when they described themselves as a troll. Um, but even within that fairly limited category, there was so much variation um, within trolls. And memorial page trolls were no exception to that, that Many of them would go on to memorial pages for recently deceased, often, you know, young white teenagers. Um, and they would go after friends and family and people who knew the victim and would were really engaging in direct, explicitly antagonistic behavior towards those affected by the tragedy. But other people who also considered themselves memorial page trolls, they were interested in making fun of trolling um, what they referred to as grief tourists. So people who didn't know the victim at all, but who were exhibiting highly, you know, sentimental, highly, um, in some cases, hysterical responses 
to these stories that they didn't have any personal connection to. And for the trolls, that was highly exploitable. Um, and so then they went after those people and avoided the friends and family. Although, you know, they could say that they were just after grief tourists all they want, but friends and family often saw these pages and indirectly encountered this content. So not every memorial page troll intended to traumatize friends and family, but that was the that was the ultimate end result in most cases. Right, and I think that's a really important thing. That's kind of the frame of the book is. Um, if you're coming at this with no knowledge whatsoever, you say these people are monsters, they're being mean to, you know, grieving families. Um, but you argue that they can be understood if you kind of frame it with how the mainstream media treats these cases. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I mean, so my argument is not, I'm not trying to argue against the claim that people who engage in, especially those really problematic behaviors, I'm not trying to say that they're not doing something terrible. That, that my argument is not, I am not challenging that assertion. What I'm saying is that, yes, they're engaging in often highly problematic behaviors, and so are mainstream media outlets that trolls are the easy scapegoat. They're the easy target to condemn um, as being the reason why we can't have nice things, which is where the title of the book comes from. But mainstream media outlets, in response to the same kinds of tragedies, and just generally, are engaging in really similar behavioral and rhetorical tactics. Um, so trolls are the most, they're engaging in more outrageous and more egregious and more obviously problematic behaviors, but more um, accepted or acceptable um, mainstream outlets are doing the same thing. So yeah, go ahead and condemn the trolls and call them whatever you want, that's fine. But don't forget that there are other um, areas where the same behaviors are being engaged in, except with the difference that people in the media are benefiting financially from their trollish behaviors. Right, right. And there's tons of examples throughout the book. One is kind of how Fox News goes about covering race and President Obama. Um, another is how mainstream media covers the deaths of these, you know, beautiful young white teenagers, uh, but ignores, you know, inner city murders and that sort of thing, right? It's a little more nuanced than that, but... Well, I mean, and, and so the examples that you give, yeah, I mean, calling attention to trolling behaviors allows you to see the um, see problems that exist within sensationalist media, right? That trolls are, are, trolls are racist and they exploit tragedy, but so do mainstream media outlets. But the, another thing I, I focus on in the book is not just what trolls reveal about how the mainstream sausage is made, um, but what they're doing is they're engaging in these rhetorical tactics that are almost, in a lot of cases, identical to mainstream media outlets and tactics. And the Obama example um, is a, the Obama as socialist joker, joker example, which I talk about in the book. Um, what that highlights is the fact that during that period of time, um, this was in the run-up to and directly following the 2008 pres presidential election, it was often impossible to tell the difference between troll-made content and content that was floated as, quote, legitimate news by um, these media outlets. And so the um, Obama socialist joker image was actually troll-made. Trolls made that. That was a troll artifact. But it was so easily taken up by 
um, the right wing sort of extremist uh, contingents um, in the mainstream media and then sort of in the blog sphere. And, and it was sort of, that was, a, that was an artifact that was kind of embraced on one side, created by the other side, and, and these, these artifacts would be bouncing back and forth to the extent that it was really hard to tell who made what. Right. And in a sense, uh, you know, this culture has been co-opted by a lot of different, um, you know, far right and far left movements. You see memes all over Facebook. Um, they they don't necessarily know what they're doing with the memes, but they know, like, I just put a huge text on an image and share it. Um, and, and that's kind of the end of the book is like after the glory years, it, the, it, the fall of, I guess, the trolling subculture. Um, is there still a trolling subculture in, in your mind? Well, I mean, it's it's really the story of trolling subculture is very interesting and has become sort of a textbook example of what um, cultural theorists refer to as ideological incorporation, where a fringe element is kind of it, it, it's it's embraced by the mainstream and then becomes a commodity. I mean, that's the that's the hot topic of hot topicification to say a difficult world word um but that's that's how that's the process by which these these french elements get taken up and um get turned into mainstream content and that's what happened with trolling subculture to to the letter um that trolling subculture started out as being this highly discreet behavioral category with shared, um, they had a behavioral, um, and rhetorical lexicon, you know, they traded in memes. And if you saw memes, especially particular kinds of memes, you knew, or I knew as a researcher that trolling had been afoot. But as this content became more and more popular in circles beyond just trolling circles, it became almost impossible to tell the difference. I mean, it became impossible to, to tell if you were looking at a troll or if you were just engaging with someone who like g- went on Facebook sometimes, um, and so it it had been it was this really slow process at first when I first started working on the project, but by the time I was done, by the time I was done with my major research in 2013 ish, um, it, it it didn't make sense to talk about trolling subculture in the same way, and there are definitely people who still identify as trolls. Um, that's not to say that it has, quote, died. It's just kind of been integrated into more mainstream conversations. And, and, and the term troll itself has undergone a transformation that in 2008, when somebody, you know, referred to trolling, they were typically referring to something that had something to do with 4chan or had its fingers in meme culture some way or another, right? That it had this very clear subcultural connotation. Um, and that was an evolution from how the term used to be used in the 80s and 90s, like on Usenet. Um, but as more and more media stories were being filed about trolls, and journalists kind of got uh, maybe, I mean, there was just a looseness with which the term was used. And it began um, incorporating and subsuming more and more, more and more people under that term. And so now, when someone refers to to a troll or to trolling online, I often don't know what the hell they're talking about. I don't know what it means. I don't know what the word troll means, and I and I actually try to avoid using it unless um, unless I'm referring to an explicitly 
self-identifying troll. If someone describes themselves as a troll, then great, I'll use that term too. But it has become a word that is essentially synonymous with being a jerk online. And that's just not, that doesn't give you very much information. Um, so how I've used the term has completely changed. Um, and that's connected to, related to, you know, the ways in which trolling subculture, what used to be trolling subculture has been, um, has just kind of become what people do on the internet and the kinds of stuff that sort of average internet users share on the internet. Right. Uh, can, can we talk a little bit about how you did this research? Because it, it's explained in the book, but how do you go about, because you did hundreds of interviews with different trolls. And as we know, when trolls talk to, you know, the local news for these stories, these like scary stories that they were doing in the late, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, a lot of that was trolling. A lot of that was made up. A lot of that was for the lulls or whatever. Um, so how, how did you kind of ingratiate yourself with them? Well, I mean, I, I adjusted my methods based on the communities I was working with. So on 4chan, I didn't do any interviews with anybody that I encountered. There would be no way for me to identify, isolate an individual anon and say, Hey friend, do you want to come have a conversation with me? I'm a researcher and I'd like to talk to you and ask you some questions. Not only could I not guarantee that the person who responded was the person I originally wanted to talk to, I would have no way of verifying anything that they said, and that would just subject me potentially to, you know, a great deal of trolling on my end. And so on 4chan, I didn't interview people. It didn't make sense for me to interview people. I focused on what was visible on site and the relationship between what happened on site and how the media reported it. That was the only thing I could have done with that particular platform. Um, you know, ethnographic research requires that you think about each individual platform or community and adjust your strategies as necessary. There's no one-size-fits-all research strategy when you're doing this kind of work. And so you have to take into account the contours of the space, of the platform, of the community, all this different stuff. So what I did on 4chan was very different than what I did on Facebook. On Facebook, you actually, I mean, the trolls were still trolling under trolling names, so it's not like they were doing it under their, their real names, but they were relying on more persistent user identities, um, pseudonyms, of course, but, you know, you could kind of, at least in the beginning when it was a really active phenomenon, Facebook found a way to push back against it. So this, this process changed. But initially, typically a troll would choose a, a, a meme name or a kind of in the same family of meme names. So you could sort of pick out certain trolls and you could follow them and the trolls started to become friends with each other. Initially they would just communicate on Facebook and by, you know, being friends, they would then have access to all the other troll friends feeds, right? Which would allow them to go to these different memorial pages. Once Facebook got better at pushing back against these behaviors, they had to go to Skype actually. Um, so they had a stronghold on Skype. And then they would create fake accounts, and then they would go do their stuff. But so there were these little trolling cabals that formed. And under those conditions, I could not have gotten the information I needed simply by observing. Initially, you know, I was able to just sort of friend these different trolls and follow what they did. Um, and that was, that was fine. I got some information from that. But at a certain point, I needed to interact with them one-on-one. -on -one. And to do that, I had to reach out to them individually and say, will you, you know, will you take part in this research and 
will you sign, you know, will you sign this waiver so that I understand that you understand what I'm doing? And, you know, that posed its own challenges because was again, that scary for you to, to do um, that or, at, at first? I mean, sure, it was scary, but it's also part of the job. I mean, ethnographic research can be really strange regardless of what population you're studying. And in this case where I was just working with, uh, you know, anonymous people, I, I, you know, it's, it was hard to know how they would react, what they might do to me. You know, I was, I was certainly concerned, but I had a job to do. And when I decided to take on this project, I decided to take on that risk. And so I did. And, you know, for the most part, the trolls that I reached out to were, they ended up working with me and, and, and I still had to be, I didn't know who they were. And I still had to be wary of relying too heavily on their own self-disclosures that just because they told me something doesn't, didn't mean that it would be true. In fact, they were probably trying to screw with me. That, that was also part of the deal. That was, I knew that that was another risk of the research going into it. But right. what they said, even if what they said was not empirically true or empirically verifiable, they were making rhetorical choices. They were choosing what they wanted me to know. And that was important in itself, regardless of, of whether or not the information was actually accurate. But so with the Facebook trolls, it just, because of the platform and because of the community, it made sense for me to do more of that one-on-one proper interview style, um, you know, light years from what I did on 4chan, but it was, that was, that was the only way to do the, that was the only way to do, do the job. And at the end of the day, when you're doing ethnographic research, you have to make choices that let you do your job. Right, right. So the book just came out. Has there been any sort of backlash yet? Um, you know, I don't, uh, I, I'm not looking for it. There may be some, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not spending time trying to find examples of things that are terrible on the internet. That's kind of my, that's kind of one of my rules. Um, They tend to come to you. (laughs) They tend to come to you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true, but I'm not, um, you know, I, I wrote it. I worked really hard on it. I worked for it on a long, I worked on it for a long time. It's out there in the world. And, you know, I, I am now working on my second book. So I'm trying to focus on, well, what do I do next? Um, you can only work on troll stuff for so many years before you just can't do it anymore. So the book I'm working on now is a co-authored book um, with Ryan Milner at the College of Charleston. And um, we're writing about behaviors that fall between play and hate. So not not really trollish behaviors, but the sort of mischievous behaviors that don't have an easy name online. Um, so that's what that's what we're doing now. And I'm, I'm having a fun time doing that. Right, right. Uh, I was curious, have you been following this, uh, like, Pepe meme stuff that's been going on lately? Um, the idea of this meme being becoming so mainstream that uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the, people on 4chan are trying to take it back in some fashion. Uh, do you think that's a backlash to some of this mainstreaming of the word trolling that, that you talk about in the book? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of, of that story, yeah. And, I mean, the, the thing is, as early as 2011, you were seeing a lot of not that specific meme and not that specific pushback. But, you know, a lot of trolls on 4chan in particular were really pissed off um, specifically about the ways in which the anonymous mantle was being, um, you know, it was anonymous was sort of emerging as this, um, 
you know, it, 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 anonymous has always been really nebulous. So I'm always reluctant to make any kinds of like sweeping claims about it. But at least in terms of the media representation of anonymous, it was becoming more and more synonymous with stories about sort of um, vigilante justice and more sort of progressive things and, um, you know, activism, basically. And then, of course, that's not to say that all participants were activists, but that was this that was the narrative that was emerging at the time. And in 2011, I mean, I remember spending hours in front of um, the computer on B as people just complained. They were so mad that this, you know, that their, that their brand, basically, I guess you could put it, that their brand was being used by, you know, whoever, different group of people or maybe the same group of people, but that it was starting to stand for something. And they were doing whatever they could to try to push back against that. And they were so angry about it. And, you know, so, so that those conversations and those pushbacks are years old at this point, because this mainstreaming really started to really start started to flourish. I would, I want to put it like late 2009, early 2010. And then it just started to get the uh, mainstreaming started happening faster and faster, but it's, it's been that way for years and self-identifying trolls have been pissed off about it for years. Right, right. I, I think that's one of the strongest parts of the book is just you explain why someone would act the way that they are um, and whether it's right or not. You, you can kind of understand where people are coming from or where they learn that behavior from the mainstream media. So I think that you really succeeded there. Well, thank you. And what's what's what? The reason that I'm reluctant to affix a positive or negative label on any of these behaviors or spaces. I mean, it's all, it's all very ambivalent. And like I said earlier, there's so much variation within the behaviors that it's hard to make a sweeping statement either way. Um, but none of the behavior, behaviors exhibited by trolls um, on 4chan or on Facebook or wherever, none of it is unprecedented. And what's really interesting is if you look um, at traditional folkloric research, right? So stuff that is totally analog that has nothing to do with digital spaces, either because they're not focusing on digital spaces or because the work was done in the, you know, before these were conversations people were having. But there's so much behavioral precedent. I mean, when you look at disaster humor, Elliot Oring's discussion of joke cycles in response to the Challenger space disaster, it is uncanny the ways in which those jokes um, echo the spirit, the tone, the content of a lot of the kinds of jokes that, that trolls are posting on memorial pages. And so the behaviors are not, the behaviors are not new. The ethical implications have changed, of course, because you can say whatever nasty off-color joke you want in the comfort of your own living room. And it's only going to get so far that, yeah, jokes spread and they spread they have spread even before um, the internet, obviously, but they spread more slowly and it's more geographically situated. Um, and there's no chance that if you personally are making a terrible joke about a tragedy in your living room, that the mother or father or friend or whatever of one of the victims can hear you. And with memorial page trolling, all of those jokes, they're, you know, that's so much precedent. But in those cases, um, on these online space, in these online spaces, friends and family and moms and dads can see these jokes. And especially, you know, once a joke kind of becomes a meme and it becomes even more untethered from the original tragedy, it becomes more and more fetishized. 
more and more people engage in very dissociative laughter. So it's not even that people are, it's not that they're sociopaths necessarily. It's not that they're bad people or that they're trying to hurt anyone, but the ways in which information spreads online means that those kinds of behaviors, which the individuals participating may think are totally harmless, they're just having fun, they're just laughing, can be devastating for the people who are actually affected by these tragedies. And that's what happens online is that, you know, stories become just these little sound bites, these little remixable kind of almost gifts. And it's really easy to lose sight of the actual human element of what's being, of what's being discussed. Um, and so you see a lot of really dissociative laughter online that isn't about the psychological shortcomings of participants, but it's just a function of how, how information spreads online and what the implications of, those, of that information is. Have you ever uh, trolled anyone, Chris? Uh, no, I, I like generally avoid um, posting outside of my uh, social networks because I don't want to. I don't want to engage with people on the internet. I remember the first time that I used Xbox Live on the original Xbox um, back when I was in college. I think uh, there were there was like so much shit talking and homophobia and racism and. Uh, I was like, I don't want to fucking talk to anybody on the internet. Like, this place is terrible. So I just, uh, I try not to even engage with, with most people outside of my circle because I you know, just don't really want to deal with it. That's, like, definitely an advisable way to live, I would say. Kaylee already told me that she doesn't troll anyone, which is not surprising. Kaylee's very nice. I, like when I was like 13 and 14 though I would go on these forums like I played video games and I would like I won't I don't know if I was like trolling but I was like a jackass to other people and I never said anything like overly horrible but people certainly like hated me and I hated other people and we just like <laughs> I mean it was all under a screen name and I, I I mean I don't even know what I said now but it, like I think I think a lot of this, a lot of what people consider trolling or like jackasses on the internet are like teenagers. Like mm -hmm. you kind of hate the like, oh, it's a teenager in his parents' basement being like this. But I mean, that was me for like, you know, a year or two. And then I was like, oh, uh, someone was mean to me and it hurt my feelings. And then I like, I was like, maybe I should just not be an asshole. Mm -hmm. So... I wonder if there's uh -huh. a difference growing up, or at least when we grew up, I don't know so much now, with, like, boy internet versus girl internet. Because the forums I was hanging out on were not about hate. It was, like, celebrities that we had crushes on and, uh, you know, making zines online. And <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> there, was, was, there was no hate where I was hanging out on the internet. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I mean, when I was in high school, people were still all on AOL. So... Um, and that was like what I had as a pathway to the internet. So I don't know. There wasn't, I don't remember any like robust sort of trolling. And then I started experiencing that more like in college when I would go on forums and stuff like that. Um, but I still don't remember it being this way that it is now. And I wonder if it's a product of, like I was saying, like if I was a teenager um, 
and there was like the open internet as it were and not AOL, I might have been an asshole on there. I don't know. Everyone's kind of an asshole when they're a teenager, right? It's true. Like, <laughs> and teenagers always are saying stupid shit just because they're fired up for 10 minutes and then they're fine. The so. very first thing I ever did on the internet ever that I can remember is I got on AOL in 1996, I believe. Um, so I was eight years old and I went to the chat rooms like naturally and I went to the AOL movie chat rooms and Titanic had just come out. Was this 1996? Uh, it might have been 97. It was, it was, it was around in there, then. Somewhere in there. Yeah, I went in there. I had not seen Titanic and I would just post, did you see the part in the movie with the gorilla and the bananas? <laughs> and I copy pasted that like dozens of times with my friends. <laughs> like my friends were sitting right there. And we would just like laugh and some, like some people would be like, I didn't see a banana. Like what happened? <laughs> oh Whereas God. other people are like, you know, get the fuck out of here. Like teenager. <laughs> I was it's eight years old. I wasn't even a teenager. Wow. Um, but the people who responded like, oh, I didn't see the banana. Like what part is that in? I didn't hear about that. I, I thought that was hilarious because they were like taking my bait. And I think that's, I mean, it's like don't feed the trolls, but like. These people were definitely feeding me. I was like, this is the funniest thing anyone has ever done. (laughs) The internet is great. (laughs) I was an eight-year-old troll. I mean, why haven't you written this article yet? I I didn't think anyone would find it interesting. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. It's good enough for the podcast, though. (laughs) I think the funniest thing is when you read shit on the internet, like you're reading it all in your voice. So you're like, it almost feels like you judging yourself. You never... At least me, I never, as I'm like scrolling through Reddit and just like lurking, because fuck, I never post, like, because um, I don't want to deal with anybody. Mm-hmm. But when I'm just reading shit, like, I never stop and go, like, this person might be an eight year old. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like everyone... it's true. You always just assume that they're the same age you are. Yeah. I never picture them older either. I'm like, this isn't a fifty year old man. This yeah. is me. That's the crazy thing when I go on Reddit and like see some like long post about like. A girl or something because people be like oh this happened to my like sister or my friend or whatever and they're like oh i'm i'm 15 or whatever and i forget as well that all these teenagers have access to the same internet that i do and Mm -hmm. are reading the same stuff and like you know posting in the same forums and it's like oh wait this like guy who hasn't taken biology class yet like is commenting that I don't know my shit on this biology article. And it's like, wait, I, that's that's not the case. Yeah. And that goes a long way to, like, uh, getting over when people are mean to you in the comments, I think, is... Some of them... The, the worst thing is when you see a comment on your article and they're, like, dead on and right. And they're like, oh, you fucked this up. And it's, like, the worst thing as a journalist. And it's, like, obviously a learning experience, but it's, like, well... I should have known better. And then you have to like do a correction or an update or something. And uh, it's happening less and less, which is good because I'm learning more and more. But, you know, we do cover like a wide variety of topics and you can't know everything about everything. And like I'll write about SpaceX or something. And it'll be like, yo, I'm a rocket scientist who's been studying SpaceX since before Elon Musk even thought about it. Like, how <laughs> could you write about this? And it's like, uh, they're like, don't you do your research? And it's like, 
yeah, I tried, but like I didn't spend my entire life studying this. So right. it's it's kind of like you're catching up. You're always playing catch up when you start covering new new subjects and you try to talk to the smartest people you can, but uh, you know, there's always going to be someone who knows more than you. Those are the comments that that I take note of is when it's like this is a mistake in your story. Obviously, that's when I'm like, oh, is this like actually a mistake and then go in usually they're wrong and I haven't made a mistake and they're an idiot, but I still always have that moment of like shock and like horror. Like, Oh no. Even if it's like the tiniest thing, it's like, damn it. Like the commenter is right. I don't want them to be right. I messed something up. So those are the only ones, the ones that are just like, you're a moron, like, and you fat. That doesn't really bother me at all. Yeah. Don't call our readers idiots. (laughs) Just kidding. You can call some of them idiots because some of them are very mean and, that's has no place on our site. I was gonna say I, I frequently see comments from people who um, write with such assurance that they are correct, and they are completely wrong. Like they'll be like, "Do your research," and then go off about a topic, and they're so fundamentally wrong on like a very basic thing. Um, I saw this a lot recently with people commenting about uh, what makes a drone a drone, mm. and a lot of people. A lot of people were like, it's not a drone unless it's autonomous. But there's no such thing as an autonomous robot anything. Everything is semi-autonomous at mm-hmm. this point uh, or controlled. And people were like just like throwing a lot of shit at us with that and so sure of this when all they had to do was go to like Wikipedia and read like the, you know, look up a few definitions and read like one article and they'd be like, oh, autonomy doesn't exist. But it's like that self-assuredness that's so, like, you read it and you go, this person's wrong, ha-ha, but you're still, like, pissed that they're so sure they're right. Yeah. And you can't understand how they're so sure they're right, because if, they if they did the base amount of research that they're criticizing you of not doing, they would find out that they are, in fact, wrong. Yeah. And I find the best way to deal with it, um, especially if there is something wrong, is to be really calm and, like, kind and gracious about it. I had a small mistake in one of my stories I, I wrote. There was like a poll, and I wrote that a majority of respondents said X, when it was actually the plurality of respondents, not the majority. And someone on Twitter pointed out the difference, and it was like, uh, I know math is hard for journalists, but this is pathetic, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I've changed it. I put in a correction. Thanks for pointing it out. And he writes back and goes, oh, yeah, I only noticed because I made the same mistake yesterday. Like, why yeah, are you calling that's... me an idiot? If you made the same mistake, why are you being so nasty to me? I don't understand it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, if you respond to comments in a measured way, like, nine times out of ten, the person is nice. And I think that's what Chris was talking about earlier. Like, these people aren't, like, they they said something shitty and mean, but they aren't necessarily shitty and mean people. And I think, like it, it's hard because I all my friends are a lot of my friends are journalists and I'm a journalist and it's like not that cool of a thing to be. It's like I don't know. It's just a, a normal thing to be. It's like I write a story and I put it on the internet and then people are mean to me, uh, and it happens to everyone. But I think no, like half the time people don't even look at who reads the who wrote the article mm-hmm. and, and you're just a name on a website they don't expect you to be a person and yeah. people have said that before They're like oh you're not actually a person and like i mean people say that about celebrities i'm not saying we're celebrities like at all but we are very much like real people who like 
but don't have, I mean, this is just, this is like our job and it's, we care very much about it, but, um, you know, we're just like people who are trying to do a good job. And if we fuck up, like certainly tell us that, but, uh, you know, I'm like a 27 year old regular guy. Please don't be overly mean. It's like, (laughs) it's like not productive for anyone. Maybe in the future when, when, uh, children learn how to use the internet, they should also be given a course in like empathy. Like, yeah, and etiquette. Are, and there are real people on the other ends of these things that you're saying this to. Because you're right. Like the, the disassociation is the reason people do this. They'd never walk up to you in the street, fucking say some of this stuff to you. Yeah. Never. Or, you know, have to turn to their mom and read all the sexist shit they just posted online. All of a sudden they'd be crying and apologizing. So that was one of my favorite like anti-trolling mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, there was that woman <laughs> who called up like a kid's mom and like read the things that her son had said to her. Uh, I think it was on Twitter, but I, it, it may have been. It was Facebook. Over, he, yeah. She like sent. Oh, yeah, it was Facebook. Facebook he has a real name associated with it. But, but he was like a 14-year-old kid, you know? Like, he was just being a 14-year-old kid. I'm not saying that's okay, but, you know, no, but we all say stupid stuff yeah. when we're 14 and don't think about the consequences. So sometimes it's good to have your mom come in and teach you some consequences. <laughs> okay, so has anything nice ever happened to any of you on the internet? I have a good, uh, well, I did Reddit Secret Santa for the first time this year, and it was really nice. I got a nice, like, really thoughtful gift of a bunch of books and I hadn't read any of them and one of them was like a I recently started taking up cross stitch and it was like a bunch of cross stitch patterns I don't know it was really sweet somebody actually took the time to like read through my shit and do it and then also the girl that I sent a a present to like wrote about it on the site and said like I did such a good job and she was so excited to get like the makeup and whatever I sent her and it was like a really good nice happy feeling that we can all get along if we try how does this work you just like get paired up with someone and then you like oppo research them into finding like what they might like yeah so you fill out a a brief profile profile and people answer as many questions as they want just kind of say general interests and things that they might like to get and then also yeah you can creep their profile and see what they post and stuff this girl did not post a whole lot so i had to base it all on her preferences that she listed but it's pretty straightforward. That's very heartwarming, Kaylee. I've heard so many heartwarming Reddit stories on Reddit, but like, uh, I don't think, I think most of them are not real. Like 97%. I tend to believe everything on Reddit is not true. <laughs> I read it mostly as fiction, um, especially when there's like a trend happening uh, that goes, like that, that Reddit keeps like bringing up again. Like, uh, there was one I saw the other day that was like, my grandmother was uh, alive in Germany in World War II. Ask her any, it was an AMA. And then there was like another one that was like, my grandmother was also alive in World War II. Ask her anything. And I was like, I bet the second one's not real. I believe the Wasn't first Wasn't everybody's grandmother alive in World War II? Well, and, and it was like, she lived in Germany. Oh, okay. So ask her anything about like living under like the Nazi, Nazi occupied, regime. Yeah. They were like just regular Germans. But I, I, by the time I hit the second one, I was like, eh, copycat, maybe not real. There's always that, um, that my grandma is so old and still alive. And oh my God, the power of Reddit, you can ask her anything. Those are like my, uh, I, I just, it's always a 13 year old, always showing his grandma <laughs> Reddit for the first time. Always like, 
it's cool. It's cool reading it, but I feel like it's fiction. Right. Like it definitely is. My favorite, 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 favorite subreddit for like fun reading time is r slash relationships. Yes. Oh my god, I'm addicted. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to feel good about your life, read r slash relationships. And most of them are probably fiction, but I don't care. I don't care. It's just good. They've come up with an interesting like relationship quandary. Whether or not it's actually in their life doesn't matter. I'm like, what would I do if I caught my boyfriend sleeping with my mom? Like, it's just ridiculous things. It's so hilarious. And it's kind of like the obvious um, newer version of those advice columns that are in magazines because everybody knew those were bullshit too. Yeah. Like the letters, they were like, help, like something happened with my early, and it was always crazy. And, you know, everyone's always like, this didn't fucking happen. And yeah. I, I guess relationships is probably the same way. There's always the ones that I also think are fiction, because it just feels like a writer's workshop to me when somebody says, uh, when they do, uh, ask Reddit is also kind of along the same lines. Like, ask Reddit, what's the worst thing you ever did? Right. And then right. like, one or two of them are real because they're pretty boring. And then there's <laughs> one that's like fucking insane. And you're like, ah, Something about this just feels like those creative writing classes I took in college, like where where they're like, okay, think of something that happened to you and then expand on it and weave it into something else. I really like, I often read our No Sleep Before Bed, which is like horror fiction. But what's really fun about it is everybody plays along and pretends as if they think it's a real story that somebody's sharing. Like, oh my God, I just got home and you won't believe what happened. They write it and then people in the comments are like, hope you're okay. Like, let us know what happens. It's really like a fun kind of riff on what's actually happening on the rest of Reddit. Like everyone's in on it, but we're going to pretend like this is real because it's more fun that way. Yeah. No sleep is great. It's very scary sometimes. Uh, it helps me fall asleep though. I'm, I, there's something wrong with me, I think. I'm just... Right. So <laughs> as, as per my r slash relationships comment a minute ago, I just pulled it up and on the front page right now is final update. Me, 23 year old male, with my fiance, 21 year old female of three years, emotionally cheated with brony friend. Now <laughs> it's over. And it's just like stuff like this all the time. And it's so, I hope, I hope it's not real, but uh, it's just very, it's very, it's probably good a mix. Reading. There's probably real ones and yeah, there's some other like ones. really sad ones on the front page that I won't get into, but like. Uh, sometimes like my father died and that sort of thing. Others like, oh, I was abused, which not fun. But uh, there are some like really weird ones in there. And if you need some interesting reading ever on like the train, check it out. A plus. Uh, no sleep confused the shit out of me the first time I read it. Because I, I didn't, I was like, wait, is this real? Because <laughs> there's no, you know, and I don't know if they explain it in the sidebar or whatever, but. I quickly figured it out. And whenever somebody posts one of those stories in like, there was like an Ask uh, Reddit thread like a few weeks ago that I think was like, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? And uh, one person told a story about this time they were driving and they thought there was a man leaning against the guardrail ahead of them. And then like these wings came out and it, the beast, whatever it was, like flew away and his friend saw it too. And and for some reason I'm, I'm fucking reading this and I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> Like, I, d I don't immediately go, bullshit. I go, damn, what the fuck was it? 
<laughs> and then other people too were like, well, maybe it was like an eagle or something. There's some pretty big hawks out there. And then other people were just like, you're fucking lying. But but that's not only on Reddit. I mean, people have been telling those stories forever. I know so many people that claim to have seen ridiculous things. Someone should make a movie where all the lies are scrubbed off the internet. It'd be kind of like liar, liar, but for like <laughs> movies. <laughs> not liar, liar, but for the internet. There's nothing. Yeah. The There's just, just nothing gone. on the internet. It's just www.motherboard.vice.com and that's it. That's the only truth <laughs> that you can find online. It's true. Yeah. Well, this has now become like us talk about Reddit hour um, and it's probably been about an hour. So uh, we're going to stop here. Um, we will have an episode about simulations next week for our simulations week. So please come back. We will be discussing whether or not the universe is a hologram. It probably is, though. Uh, Nothing is real. I don't know. Maybe. It's probably not. Also, uh, I think that's what the episode is going to be about. But, you know, things change. We'll see. Tune in. Tune in next week. Yeah. To find out the thrilling conclusion. Bye. Bye, guys. And by bye, I mean this is Jason. Chris and Kaylee, thank you very much for joining. Thanks for listening. As always, you can subscribe to us at soundcloud.com slash motherboard. We're also on iTunes. And thank you to Kevin Jibo, our editor. And thanks to Casper Mattresses, one perfect mattress. You can order online at casper.com and use code VICE for $50 off any order. Okay, thanks. Goodbye. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 